Hey guys, Abel here back with another video. And in today's video, I would like to talk about the most reliable way of setting your training up for muscle growth. How can you maximize the chances that you will actually get bigger on the training program that you put together for yourself? That's the topic for today. So the first thing that I want to start out with here is that I completely understand that there is a lot of confusion out there about how to program for hypertrophy, what is the best training split, how to best do things, because there is a lot of conflicting information out there. And that is true in general. What's even more trippy about all of this is that even within the same circles within the fitness industry, there is some disagreement. So for example, if you're looking at the evidence-based sphere, these are very smart people. They are colleagues that respect each other. They collaborate on a lot of projects. A lot of them have PhDs. A lot of them have even great physiques. Yet, what they actually recommend is quite different. Of course, they agree in terms of the big picture stuff, but when it comes to the specifics of how to put together a training program for hypertrophy, you will hear different recommendations. So that is very confusing. Why is that the case? It's mainly because research on training is full of limitations and researchers will be the first ones to tell you that. Most studies that are done on training are suffering from at least one or more of the following limitations. Either it's too short or it's not controlling for a couple of very important variables or it's done on a population that is just not representative of most of us that are interested in this kind of a stuff. Or perhaps it's using methods that are, once again, not really representative of how most of us train in the real world. And then those are some of the biggest problems only. Then I didn't even talk about some of the other stuff that we don't even know for sure. For example, what do they really mean in research when they said that the participants train to failure? But let's not even get into that. So that is only the research side. Then we have anecdotes. So we could say, okay, research is limited. So we could look at the people who are very big and muscular and trained successfully. Well, the problem with that is that for any given person who got huge and big following one method, you can find another person who got just as big doing seemingly the complete opposite. And of course, for any one of those methods, you can also find a graveyard full of people who also tried those methods and didn't get anywhere near as big and jacked. Which, in short, is all to say that genetics has a huge role to play in how big and muscular you will get following any given training program out there. And on top of that, there are a few more issues which make it very difficult to say what training method is going to work best for you. One being that muscle growth inherently is just hard to measure. Even for researchers who have the most advanced technology to measure all of this, even they have a hard time accurately measuring muscle growth. For us, just at home, relying on tools like the mirror and a measuring tape, it's basically impossible to accurately measure muscle growth, especially in the short term. And that basically brings me to another big issue is that muscle growth is just a very, very slow process. So even if you did have tools to accurately measure how much you're growing, you will have to wait several months before you can actually detect a meaningful difference in how much muscle you're gaining. So because of all of these things, not only is it hard to predict what training program is going to work best for you, even if you did find the optimal training program for yourself, it's really hard to actually tell whether that's the case because muscle growth is hard to measure. And even if you could measure it, you will have to wait a long time. So basically a big part of this whole training process is just doing what you think is best and then just kind of patiently waiting and hoping that several months down the line, you will end up more muscular. 
So with that being the case, how can we actually, if not ensure, at least increase the likelihood as much as possible that what we are doing is actually going to work? And here I would have a couple of tips for you. So what I will tell you here is not specific guidelines as far as, okay, this is how many sets and reps you should be doing. Because then it would be just one of the other videos out there and then it would be one of those things like, okay, why should you trust me and not someone else? What I want to do here instead is help you make better decisions over how to set your training up. And when you're listening to advice to other people, what types of recommendations you should perhaps follow and what are those that are perhaps better left ignored. So the first biggest tip that I would have for you on setting your training up for muscle growth and increasing the likelihood as much as possible that you will actually grow muscle on it mainly comes down to mindset. And that is approach this process like an investor and not like a gambler. So what do I mean by that? A good investor will invest into things, at least large amounts of money into things where there is a high likelihood of success, the potential returns are great, and the risk of it backfiring or just not working out is relatively low. So they will look at trends and indicators and they will consult with people and they will do risk assessments and all of that stuff. And when everything looks good, then they will make the call that, okay, this looks like a high likelihood of good returns, low likelihood of failure. This is a good thing to invest into. Is success guaranteed even then? No, there is usually no such thing as 100% guaranteed success. However, they at least greatly increase the likelihood that their investment is going to work out. If the indicators are not good, so it's kind of like, Meh, maybe it's gonna work, maybe not, then maybe that's not the best thing to invest into. Or if they will invest into it, definitely not a large sum of money. So that's kind of how you want to approach your training as well. And what I tend to see, unfortunately, is that people don't approach their training like this, but they more so approach it like a gambler or like a rich kid who just suddenly got his hands on a lot of money and doesn't know what to do with it and discovered the stock market and just sees all kinds of cool things that he could invest into and just starts buying into random stuff. Well, the problem with that is the likelihood of success is lower to begin with. And even if he was to succeed, it's unlikely that in the future he will be able to replicate that success because there was no methodology behind the whole thing. There was no thought process. It was just kind of random chance. And that's what a lot of people do with their training as well. There is no real thought process behind the whole thing. It's just like, wow, like this method looks cool and this intensity technique and this peri periodization model looks really fancy. Let's try that. And they just kind of start trying random things all over them at the same time or trying one thing and then another thing shortly after and when they look back at what they have been doing for the past six months it's this giant Frankenstein thing and there is no way to tell what worked and what didn't work so that's what you don't want to be doing so how do you apply this investors mindset when it comes to your training well basically what you want to do and of course how well you will be actually able to do this depends on your experience level and competence level but ideally what you would want to do is you would look at research what does the research say what do the anecdotes say so what have the people who have gotten big and jacked did most of the time and then you also look at common sense. So even if you have no research to back it up or you have no anecdotes to support it, it just makes good sense to do certain things. And of course, 
you acknowledge the limitations of all of these three things. So there is limitations to research. I talked about that. There are a lot of limitations to anecdotes. I talked about that. And there is even a limitation to common sense because what may seem like common sense might not actually pan out like that in practice. A lot of the times something seems like an intuitively good idea and then it turns out not to be. So what we want to do is we want to look at all of these three things, the research, the anecdotes and common sense and see where they all overlap. And if they do overlap, then those things might be actually worthwhile to try and implement. So I will give you a couple of examples here. There is pretty good consensus in the research at this point that you have to train with a high enough effort level. Basically, you have to train close enough to failure because local fatigue in the muscle fibers is an important stimulator of hypertrophy. And that is great because the anecdotes also agree with that. Basically, anybody who is big and jacked is training pretty hard. Some of them train much harder, some of them train less hard, but nobody is doing three reps with their 10 rep max. All of them grind relatively hard. So great, there we have an overlap. Then research finds pretty consistently that training volume is important for hypertrophy, that up to a point at least there is a dose response relationship between training volume and muscle growth. Where that point is, eh, the research is kind of contentious on that, but if we look at anecdotes, we also see that pretty much everybody who is big and jacked is at least doing a moderate amount of volume. Some of them are doing much more. Some of them do 20 plus sets. Some of them do much less, even less than 10 sets, but almost nobody is doing a single set per week. Even people like Mike Menser, who is the godfather of high intensity training, as far as I know, at least, even he didn't do a single set. Even he did a couple of sets per muscle group per week. So yeah, training volume is important and you at least want to do a moderate amount of volume probably if you want to grow the best. Some other things, there's a pretty good consensus in the research at this point that the exact rep ranges that you're using for your training are not nearly as important as we once thought. So there is not one magical rep range like the six to 12 or eight to 12 or something like that. And once again, anecdotes, perfect overlap. If you look at different bodybuilders and how they train and how they got big and jacked, you will see all kinds of methods. Dorian Yates trained pretty damn heavy with lower reps, heavier weights. Someone like uh, Lee Haney trained with much higher reps. And you see this in gyms as well. You can see jacked and muscular people and you will see all kinds of rep ranges that they use. So once again, we have a nice overlap here. Other things such as training frequency. How often do you train a muscle group in a given week? The research is mainly finding that it just doesn't matter that much. You can probably build muscle just fine even on a bro split, training everything only once per week. And generally we see either a neutral or a slightly positive effect with higher training frequencies. And once again, perfect overlap. If you look at all the different people who have gotten big and jacked, they do all kinds of different splits. A lot of people do the bro split, but a lot of people do upper lower or push pull legs or full body. You will see the whole gambit out there. So once again, nice overlap, we can go forward. Other things like rest periods, mm, research is a little bit contentious here. Some research finds that it's better to rest longer between sets. Some finds that it just doesn't matter. And if you look at people in the gym that are big and jacked, you will see all kinds of different methods here. So once again, nice overlap. Other things such as range of motion, most research generally finds that it's better to use a full range of motion. 
the anecdotes, eh, sometimes they match that, sometimes they don't. And I think this is where we can apply some common sense. Like I think it just makes good sense that, okay, the muscle has a given function. Your chest goes all the way from here to here. That is the full range of motion of the pecs. Probably it's a good idea to make use of that full range. So, and we can apply the same common sense to all the other factors as well. So rest periods, maybe they just don't matter as much, but maybe it just makes more sense to rest more than just a minute between heavy sets of squats. And maybe it doesn't make as much sense to rest five minutes between leg extensions. Same thing with rep ranges. Yeah, it doesn't matter much what rep range you train in, but does it make much sense to do sets of 20 on the squat? Probably not. Maybe it's better to do sets of six to eight or six to 10 or something like that. Does it make much sense to do sets of four and five on the leg extension? Probably not. Maybe it's better to do something like 8 to 12 or 10 to 15 or something like that. So we can use common sense to kind of fill in the gaps here. But basically, you want to look at these overlaps. And there we can at least be sure that, okay, even if this is not the perfect way to set up our training, at least it's very likely that it's not going to be backfiring on us completely. The next big tip I would have for you is to optimize your training for trackability. So like I mentioned, it's basically impossible to predict whether your training program is going to be optimal for you or not. And even if it is optimal, it's really hard to tell whether it's optimal, especially in the short term, because it's really hard to measure muscle growth, especially in the short term. So if there was at least some proxy that we could use that is at least correlated with muscle growth that we could measure in the short term, that would be amazing. Because then at least part of our training would not be just wishful thinking and just patiently waiting and hoping that what we are doing is going to work out, which is to some extent inevitable. So if we can avoid that in some way, that would be fantastic. And luckily, we actually do have such a proxy, and that is training performance, the weight on the bar and or the amount of reps that you can complete with a given weight. So basically, strength gains. Now, are strength gains a perfect proxy for muscle growth? No, far from it. Is getting stronger a guarantee that you're getting bigger? No, unfortunately not. Is there a one-to-one -one correlation between how strong you are and how big you are? No, man, I really wish there was, but there isn't. However, we do know, or we can at least say pretty confidently, that a bigger muscle is a stronger muscle, and that makes sense mechanistically. A bigger cross-sectional area should result in more force production capability. And anecdotally, again, we do see that most people that are pretty big and jacked are also pretty strong. Now, how strong they are, of course, that varies tremendously based on genetic factors, but all of them are much stronger than they were in the beginning of their training career. So at least we can say pretty confidently that if you're not getting stronger, then it's very unlikely that you're getting bigger. The converse of this is not true. So you can get stronger without getting bigger. However, if your training program is not resulting in strength gains, it's unlikely to result in muscle growth as well. So therefore, you should be able to see yourself getting stronger over the course of the weeks. So that's what I mean when I say optimize for trackability. Do I mean that you should set up your training in a way so that you're getting as strong as possible? No, I wouldn't say that because that can put some funky ideas into people's heads and then they will start doing things like powerlifting specific training and peaking their strength at a given time to get as strong as possible. So I wouldn't say that. But what I would say is that you should set up your training in a way where strength gains, if they're happening, they're easily observable.
Because if you can observe that, then at least you have some proxy that you can track. If you can't even track that, then basically your entire training setup is based on wishful thinking. You have no idea whether what you're doing is working or not, and you're just kind of hoping that it does. So how do you set your training up so that you can observe that and so that your training is trackable? Well, basically the easiest way to do that is to keep as many things standardized as possible so that ideally the only thing that would change from week to week is the weight on the bar and or the amount of reps that you're doing with a given weight. So for example, if you always do bench presses on Monday and you're seeing yourself getting stronger on that bench press, then okay, I can tell that what I'm doing is working, I'm improving. If you are doing bench presses one week on Monday and then on the other week you're doing dumbbell bench presses on Monday, then you're only able to observe whether you improved every other week on the bench press, which all else being equal, I would say is not ideal. If one week you're training three reps away from failure and the next week you're training two reps away from failure and you were able to increase the weight, well, did you really get stronger or did you just grind harder this time? it's harder to tell. And basically the more of these added variables you have in your training, the more difficult it will be to actually track your progress. Now, sometimes there is a good reason to do these things, but I would say that if you don't need to do it, then don't do it. Or rather, I would say that every time you're thinking about adding in some new complex thing into your routine, some new variable, ask yourself whether that's going to compromise your ability to track your progress. And if it is, then do you have a good enough reason to do it or not? Sometimes the answer might be yes. So for example, maybe before you were doing heavy squats and now you injured yourself and now all you can do is high rep, slow tempo, single leg leg presses. Is that going to throw off your ability to track your progress? Yes, but you got injured, so you kind of have no choice. However, if you just had the idea one day that, oh, this new exercise or this new training technique looks cool, so let's implement it into my routine. Is that gonna throw off your ability to track progress? Yes. Is the fact that you think it's cool a good enough reason to do it? Maybe not. So kind of that's the calculus that you wanna use here. So whenever you can, optimize for trackability and only throw that off when it's really necessary. And that basically brings me to the last tip that I would have for you here and this is a very related point and that is only add more complexity to your training when it's really needed. And if you can still make great linear progress doing things the simple way, then do it that way. So like I mentioned, some things are inevitably going to throw off the trackability of your progress. For example, having multiple rep targets for a given exercise. So let's say on the bench press, one week you're doing six reps, the other week you're doing 12 reps. That is basically an undulating rep scheme and that is a method that I will use with clients sometimes when I feel like it would be beneficial because progress is kind of slowing down or it's stalling and that could be a new thing to implement to reignite that progress. But if I don't need to, then I won't use it. If I can just keep them making linear progress from day zero to day 200 without adding in any of these bells and whistles, that would be fantastic. Now, often, unfortunately, in practice, it doesn't work out like that. Like eventually it will have to get more complex, but if it doesn't need to, don't add more complexity. It's just going to make tracking your progress more difficult and there's just no need for more complexity just for the sake of having more complexity. If the simple stuff is getting you linear progress, 
you basically have the golden ticket. There are very few things or it's very questionable if it's ever worth doing something if you're actually progressing linearly because linear progress is basically the best progress imaginable. Now, when that is no longer possible, then yes, it is worth thinking about adding some bells and whistles to your training. But before that, I would say just keep doing what you're doing if the gains are great. And in general, this is a related point, I guess just extending this current point is adding things to your training is always easier than taking things away. So if progress is kind of slow or it's not really happening, adding a few more things to it is the easiest thing in the world. Adding a bit more volume or a few more exercises for a given muscle group or more frequency, that's super easy to do. However, if you already have all the fancy schmancy stuff in your routine, then it's really hard to pull things back if things are not working well. For one, what do you actually pull back? Because you have no idea what's working and what's not working. And secondly, you're kind of out of tools at that point. Like you already have all the fancy stuff implemented, now progress stalled, now what do you do? So only add things when it's needed and don't do that more proactively than what is reasonable. So for example, when it comes to training volume, maybe you can progress on 10 sets or on 15 sets or on 20 sets. You can't predict what the optimal training volume is going to be in advance. So why not just start out at 10? You know, if progress is kind of slow or it's not really happening, no problem, you can go up to 12, see if that's better. If it's still not, you can try 15 and you can just go up like that. Or even if progress is great, but you just wanna see if you could progress even faster, then you know you can start out at 10, you can go up to 12. Okay, I'm still making good gains, so that's a good sign. Go up to 15, okay, everything is still great. Maybe you go up to 17 sets, and now I'm starting to have some ups and downs in my progress, it's not as linear anymore. Okay, maybe this was too much, so you can just dial it back to 15. However, if you just jump into 20 right away and things are not really happening, then how do you know where to go from there? Should I go even higher than 20? Well, that's kind of a gamble. Or if 20 was too much, then first you have to let all of that excess fatigue dissipate, which is kind of the pain in the ass, and then you have to start building up from the bottom up once again. So it's just more difficult than it needs to be. So always keep in mind that adding is easier than taking away later. So whenever you can just start out with a relatively simple setup, knowing that you can always make it more fancy and more hardcore later down the line. But that should be dictated on progress and what you're actually observing. So that would be kind of my last piece of advice that I would have for you here. So basically that's all I wanted to say here. Um, it's more of a decision-making tool that I wanted to give you here rather than specific guidelines. And I hope that will make it easier for you guys to make some better calls when it comes to your training. And basically the framework that I outlined here is the framework that everybody uses. All the coaches out there, all the most prestigious experts, this is how they construct training routines. Nobody has the perfect way to predict what's going to be the optimal training split and volume and all of those things for a given person. Nobody has that predictive power. All that we can do is look at what evidence do we have, what indicators do we have, and based on that, what makes the most sense. And that's just important to keep in mind because it's very popular these days, I guess, to say things like, oh, all of these people are overcomplicating stuff. I don't know what all the confusion is about. This is how you train and this is the method. Anybody who says things like that, you already know is bullshitting because nobody can know exactly what's going to be the optimal approach. That is going to differ from person to person. All you can do is to start out with something that makes good sense 
and then optimize it from then on. And then you do that based on how you're responding to the training program and what you're observing. So that is just another thing to keep in mind. So yeah, basically that's all I wanted to say in today's video. I hope it made some sense at least. Let me know what you think. Subscribe for more content like this. Uh, if you want to be coached by me and mentored by me, then check out the link in the show description below. I have a new website actually with a new cool downloadable ebook on whether you should cut or bulk. I have a complete guide on it. So I recommend that you check that one out. And uh, otherwise, yeah, just uh, see you in the next video.